in, in our network of, of the few folks that are actively doing these STO offerings and uh, service providers and the software platforms that these deals are built on has really been kind of revolutionized over the last year or so here as well. I was very encouraged to see the robustness of those platforms at the blockchain conference uh, back in September starting to converge and becoming truly comprehensive and, and fully featured. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Keith Meyer from Symphony Capital Group. And today, we're focusing our discussion around blockchain tokenization technology for real estate syndications. That's a mouthful. Really, it's applying the blockchain or, or cryptocurrency to real estate syndications and digging into that, digging into the current state of technology where Keith thinks things are going in the future, some pros and cons from the perspectives of passive investors and the perspectives of syndicators and, and deal sponsors, people putting deals together. I won't share too many of th my thoughts about this right now because I think I share many of them throughout the course of the interview and where I think we stand today and, and, and all those things. You know, I, I won't uh, editorialize too much here in this introduction, but I think it's very interesting. This may well be a big part of our future in real estate. I think really only time will tell, but it's well worth, in my opinion, paying attention to these things right now, seeing worth where the technology stands and how it takes over or doesn't take over market share and, and what happens, all the evolutions, because it could be big, maybe not, but paying attention is always good, right? Learning, staying educated, and watching new technologies and new developments, right? What what can go wrong? Learn, and you will be more informed about making decisions. So great conversation with Keith today, and a really interesting topic that I think has needs more information around it, and Keith shared plenty for us. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I buy real estate with passive investors. And if you would like to learn more about what we do and potentially invest in one of our future deals, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Fill out the form and take the next steps. I look forward to speaking with you. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please do take a moment and leave us a rating and review on the show. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much, you guys. I really, really do. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews and they think, hey, I need to listen to this show. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That is direct feedback. I do look at those pretty much every day, see your reviews, and it just keeps us all going here. I love it so much. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Help them build passive wealth on Main Street. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, do look us up and hit the subscribe button. And that way you'll get every new episode. You'll catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. That's when we put out episodes. That's when we're doing it. That's when we're helping y'all escape the Wall Street casino. Once again, our guest is Keith Meyer from Symphony Capital Group. We're talking about the blockchain technologies applications to real estate syndications, where the technology stands today, where it was six months or a year ago, all, everything that's happened in the last year, and where we might be going in the future. So much more, many questions that I had. And uh, I think Keith is really on the forefront of a lot of what's going on. So great lessons. Without any further ado, here we go. 
Keith, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Taylor. Happy to be here, man. It's going to be a great conversation. You have a really cool experience, and we're going to dig into, I think, a unique area that is growing and, and maybe the future of real estate investing. We shall see. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about your experience and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Keith Meyer, I'm the principal of acquisitions and sponsor relations for Symphony Capital Group. We're a multifamily syndication team based out in San Diego, California, although we primarily invest out of state. So I can touch on a little bit of the investment climate that we're seeing out there on the West Coast. But for a variety of reasons, we focus primarily on the uh, Southwest and Midwestern markets currently. Cool. Absolutely. So which markets are you investing in and like what types of assets specifically do you invest in just so folks can have like a filled out picture? Right. So we invest in apartment complexes, generally 50 units and above. Um, We'll go as low as a C plus, B minus class, generally perform a value add plan to bring that up to a B plus class. And then recently we've also added some class A investments uh, into our portfolio as we've kind of changed our thinking a little bit on the multifamily investment strategy. So that's uh, something that I'd be happy to touch on as well. Yeah. How did that change? I mean, I I would love to pull on that thread a little bit. Yeah. So a couple of factors that we saw is over the last two years or so, we've been hustling like everybody else, trying to find these uh, diamond in the rough value-add deals that ultimately pencil um, when you do your due diligence and try to get everything across the finish line. So um, as you see the bidding become more competitive for C plus, B minus type deals, seeing cap rates compress towards the level of newer class A type product, it becomes more compelling to acquire a newer property, obviously, that's going to have less skeletons in the closet, um, but also with that lower cap rate, have more value added to the bottom line, which with each dollar of NOI that you're able to ultimately generate either through expense reduction or through rent growth. So we kind of saw those factors start to converge. Uh, more favorable lending environment generally on the class A product, even things like uh, property management, percentage of gross incomes generally a little bit lower on some of the larger class A product, insurance premiums a little bit lower. So when you're able to really roll these up and and package these, um, it presents a a pretty compelling uh, investment thesis for the class A product as we stand here in 2021, coming on 2022. Great. I mean, I think chasing cap rate has bitten a lot of people that go after cap rate alone or maybe overweight that in their considerations and end up buying old properties that end up, like you said, having a lot of skeletons in the closet that then you know cost money to fix and, and folks don't uh, budget properly for those things because they made the mistake of, of putting too much weight on the wrong number being right. cap rate. And when you need to close on a class B property within 30 days, you know, the competitive closing timeframes that we see these days in this, this COVID world we live in, try getting an electrician, a plumber, a phase one survey, uh, all the contractors out there to really thoroughly vet the 40, 50 year old product and get you a report back so that you can develop a CapEx plan. It's, it's really challenging. So having a better idea of what you're really getting yourself into on the class A uh, space has been, been something that's worked out pretty well for us. Yeah. 30 days might sound like a lot, but it's really basically nothing. It's not enough time to do stuff. Not enough time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, today, you know, I wanted to discuss with you blockchain tokenization in real estate syndications. And, you know, this is a new area for me to be, you know, honest for our listeners. I do have some 
cryptocurrency investments, but I haven't delved personally into real estate syndications and how the blockchain can be applied other than a a surface level. And you have a much better understanding of this than I do. So, you know, I I guess first off, start off by telling us about it. And then, you know, I'm going to have you know, a slew of questions about uh, how it works and and things that might be concerns or might be benefits. Yeah, certainly. Uh, this is a really hot topic, especially where I'm based out of in Southern California. So it's really been within the last year or so that this has ramped up, particularly in the commercial real estate space. So I was fortunate enough to speak at the, the first uh, of its kind blockchain for real estate conference in Austin, Texas, back in September. Um, and this is a venture that my team at Symphony Capital Group is really work to educate ourselves on over the last year or so. Um, and it's interesting coming from me, I'm a pretty conservative uh, investor by by nature. That's what's always drawn me to real estate. And I brought my first, uh, bought my first cryptocurrency about a year ago. So you know, I'm a relatively newcomer to the space. So really in summary, it's a pretty complex field, but the idea is that these tokens in the formal name for it's called a STO, a securitized token offering, so what you're doing is you're actually producing a crypto asset. It's not a, a cryptocurrency, um, which is what most most folks think of when they think of Ethereum or Bitcoin. And technically, Bitcoin is meant to be treated as a crypto asset as well. Um, it's limited in supply. It's a taxable event when you sell it. So I think there's a little bit of a n- misnomer there on the currency versus asset aspect. Um, but if you can wrap your head around the token being a representation of your ownership in an asset, then that's fundamentally what the technology is is meant to enable. And you already see that in uh, crowdfunding funding platforms like Realty Mogul or Fundrise, where you're buying fractional shares of an asset or portfolio of assets. But those are still pretty low tech, just in terms of how the administration of the, the ownership and transferability and the lack of smart contracts and international exchanges and things like that. So what we're really excited about from the syndication standpoint is that's probably the biggest drawback that we have um, when we're, we're trying to raise capital is that syndications and commercial estate in general are still fairly illiquid investments, relatively speaking. We usually underwrite the majority of our deals over about a five-year horizon, and then we're generally aiming to recapitalize or refinance within two to three years in that window or even explore a sale by year two or three. So you're still two or three years minimum of illiquidity into that investment. Whereas the idea behind uh, STO, securitized token offerings, is that you would be able to take your $50,000, $100,000 investment and divide that into fractional tokens that you could sell on a secondary exchange 24-7, essentially. And generally, when you introduce liquidity into an asset, you see um, what's called a liquidity premium uh, introduced. So having that option typically makes the value of that asset go up. So the idea would be that we would bring value to our existing investors, not only by offering them liquidity if, if they needed that, if they wanted to trade out of a deal and recapitalize, but also um, likely a bump in the the net asset value by having that liquidity available. Okay, great. And and I want to make it you know clear or at least call it out that we're we're definitely speaking in in general terms here. And and for a lot of the things that we're just to clarify for listeners, a lot of things we're going to discuss is probably going to get into territory that maybe the market hasn't really figured out yet, or the technology hasn't really figured out yet, or 
We might even touch on some securities laws and regulations. And I am certainly not a securities attorney. And Keith, as far as I know, you are not either. So these things are, Correct. again, all uh, all general terms and and not um, advice in any way. So with that uh, you know, said and, and out of the way, one of the things I wonder here is when we talk about liquidity of these tokens, right? The token still represents a restricted security, which is a term, you know, that the the SEC, you know, puts on these securities, meaning if you invest in syndication, you can't sell your investment interest, you know, for a year in most cases. And there are exceptions in there. It gets into the, you know, details. And I don't want to opine too much on that because again, I'm not a securities attorney. But how does that impact when we're talking about these tokens and that they can be more liquid, but as far as I know, or as far as I expect, the SEC is not about to say, well, it's a token, you can sell it whenever you want. Now that that restriction is probably my expectation going to carry over to the token. Yes or no? What what are you seeing there? Yeah, great thoughts, uh, great questions. And it's uh, kind of a standard case of the technology coming before the, the regulatory body is set up to, to manage the technology. So we've seen some shifting even within the last year or two uh, as far as what the approach is. But in general, you're correct. Um, there's typically a lockup period of a year uh, to where the tokens cannot be exchanged and they have to be initially purchased by accredited investors only. Although a recent change is the end of that expiration of that lockup period, the tokens then do become available to non-accredited investors. So that's, and again, this is my understanding of the current state. This is all very fluid situation um, and that's U.S. accredited investors. So I believe two or three years ago, um, I think it was regulation S uh, for crowd crowdfunding or tokenization where the exchanges had to be um, international investors as they were figuring out the domestic rules. Um, so again, these things are all still uh, in flux to an extent, but they're meant to be a product of the, the Jobs Act um, from a couple of years ago that the intent was to bring these um, lucrative, uh, non-traditional alternative investment strategies to to the common person, uh, to to the non-accredited investor. And I think, I mean, we're very grateful in our space to be able to have that structure in place and that served the syndication space very well over the last seven or eight years. So we remain very hopeful that uh, the lawmakers and legislators will be able to put that framework in place to ultimately enable this type of technology. I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I hope the regulations will keep up with the direction the market goes and the direction the technology goes, because ultimately you, know, you and I and our listeners out there are able to connect because of technology. We're on Zoom right now and our listener is on whatever podcast app they use or on YouTube or whatever. And that that all comes back to technology. It's a different technology, but technology nonetheless, and there were regulations involved there. So so hopefully in this you know future case, the, the regulations and regulators can evolve with the technology. So regarding you know potential benefits, you mentioned liquidity and, and hopefully a liquidity premium if if you know in, in in theory to all of this stuff. The other thing that I things that I wonder about is you know a passive investor in a syndication, most syndications will at least attempt to provide cash flow to the investor and um, depreciation, paper losses, basically. And and I wonder about the actual logistics of that, because there's probably a, a there's a blockchain involved. Like if I have a, you know, a, the syndicator has a distribution of $100,000 to send out to their investors, what is the actual process of doing that? And, and how are those proceeds distributed? 
Correct. Yeah, that's where a lot of innovation has occurred in, in our network of, of the few folks that are actively doing these STO offerings and the service providers and the software platforms that these deals are built on has really been kind of revolutionized over the last year or so here as well. I was very encouraged to see the robustness of those platforms at the blockchain conference uh, back in September starting to converge and becoming truly comprehensive and, and fully featured. When you think about the registration or the minting of the token and then the tying that again to the cash flows and depreciation, having that all within a portal or platform that's accessible both by the managers and the general partners of the deal and by the investors and the limited partners as well. And then being able to transfer that token to a uh, secondary exchange to introduce the liquidity. Um, that's something that at the beginning of this year, that was pretty piecemeal. And it was, a lot of it fell on the syndicator themselves, um, putting those, those pieces together. Whereas as we approach the end of the year here, um, there's more comprehensive uh, turnkey type offerings that integrate a lot of that functionality. Interesting. Uh, that's definitely good to hear. You know, I'm, I'm always going to Oh, well, speaking in general terms, I'm always going to lead toward, uh, lean toward wanting to see things develop in advance and, you know, hopefully people make money along the way, but, but if things, if we do reach a, a positive, good solution that works, then I think the market, uh, generally speaking, will be better off for it. Unfortunately, with any new development, there is, is bloodshed along the way, man, talk about a transition. I'm pretty proud of this, this transition and topic, but we went from some of the, the positives to, of course, negatives, everything has negatives. And I think with cryptocurrency in particular, the big one is cybersecurity. We see people losing, you know, losing their wallets, losing their keys, losing their, uh, their, their actual tokens all the time. There's that story that we've all heard probably of the guy who had, $300 million in Bitcoin on a hard drive and his mom threw it out and, you know, 2012 and it was worth a hundred bucks. And then now it's worth that 300 million and he's trying to dig it up. But we don't want to be that, that person who invests in a, an apartment complex token and, you know, whatever our computer breaks and, and it's, it's gone. Our interest is gone. So what are, are there any like mitigating factors there? Because we might be talking about Bitcoin is fully decentralized, which makes your recourse basically nothing to get your your coins back. But with these cryptos, and again, I'm guessing here, but with these cryptos are probably more centralized. So maybe the investors have more recourse to reclaim their tokens. I, I don't know. So has that been addressed with this? You're correct. For the most part, the tokens themselves are more, more centralized. Um, so it's the block tech chain technology that's more so enabling the exchange or the execution of the smart contracts, uh, but the tokens can, you know, it's, it's all a matter of coding that into the smart contract in terms of the, the identification of those um, unique tokens. And that's some functionality or some, some feature design aspects that are still being ironed out by those that are kind of pioneering the space. You asked about cash flow and payouts earlier. I know some syndicators are offering payouts in um, Bitcoin or your various cryptocurrency of choice to allow a stable coin payout, which is pegged to the dollar, but still remains on the blockchain network, or some will even just convert it into USD and do a ACH or a wire transfer the, the old school way as well. So it's, you know, the kind of the classic combination of comfort level uh, versus technology versus the regulatory aspect. Interesting. So we've talked about some of the advantages and and perhaps disadvantages for the passive investors. And, and I'm curious about the 
advantages and disadvantages for the the syndicators because at the end of the day, one would only do this as a part of your business plan if it's going to you know, make things better, make your job easier, make it faster for you to raise capital or, or, or whatever, you know, you see some benefit to the business. So, you know, from your standpoint, what is a, a potential benefit of running a deal this way? At least initially, we've, and we've talked about this, the, the technology is still in development. So there are headaches. This is just being figured out now, but sure. as we go down the road, what do we see as the potential upside? Well, certainly the asset uh, access to a wider investor base and then talking internationally um, to a large extent, you just have the technology that enables such a wide access and transferability. So being able to, to have that kind of seamless and a lot of, of that managed through electronic smart contracts versus the old school paper documents that most uh, real estate transactions are still conducted with uh, to date. So we're, we're excited about that. Um, seamless uh, aspect of of getting some of that technology incorporated, and then the capitalization uh, capital stack aspect of tokenization is very appealing as well. Um, the old rules of seventy to eighty percent LTV don't necessarily need to apply if your your capital stack is on a secondary exchange to where it's really up to the consumer or the investor of to what comfort level they're they're wanting to uh, invest their uh, capital into. And again, having it fractionalized to a large extent just by nature provides a little bit of a risk premium and, and liquidity and enables the, the masses to access these premier investments at a pretty small um, investment minimum. That's true. You 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 take the whatever $50,000 investment and, and break it up into some number of smaller chunks and then folks can either you know sell off or or buy into a deal maybe a thousand bucks or ten bucks or a hundred bucks at a time absolutely I heard a case study of a uh, single family home tokenized project where the active residents who were renting the property bought into their own equity of the the deal that they were the home that they were renting so they were, were partial owners of their own investment property and getting a slice of their own rent income I mean I thought that was pretty eye-opening hmm interesting so Another thing I wonder about is, and again, I, I'm, I'm far from an expert on this stuff, but as I understand, these smart contracts have to run on a, you know, a blockchain backbone type of thing. They have to be processed by something. Are we looking at like a, a new coin, like a new version of Bitcoin and Ethereum, Ethereum being like a smart contracts platform, or does it all kind of ride on Ethereum or, or what does that look like? And, and this is me showing my sure. know, definite lack of knowledge <laughs> on this topic. And I wouldn't have even had an intelligible answer for you six months ago, but yeah, fortunately I've uh, heard a, a little bit. So I'll, I'll speak to the extent that I'm informed at this point, but uh, yeah, basically what you're looking at is specialized blockchain uh, technology or platforms. So it'd be more of a contract, commercial real estate centric um, technology that enables that specific types of transactions that would need to occur in this case. And there's quite a, a, a race and a competition to become the innovator in that space. So I know it was first mostly based on ERC-20, the Ethereum platform. Uh, now I know there's a, a blockchain technology called Algorand. That's a big player in the space, very good at executing contracts quickly and with minimal gas costs, um, things like that. So that's still being uh, optimized, um, but there's definitely better better options um, these days than there were even a year ago. So yeah, that that is, I think 
that's probably an area we'll see evolution in because you mentioned gas fees um, in particular, which are basically, as I understand them, uh, transaction fees, which with Ethereum scale or, or go up rapidly with the amount of the, the actual amount of transactions on the network. So when things get really hot, the uh, price is flying upward, the transaction fees go up considerably. And at least in the case of Ethereum, within the last uh, year or so, that has hel- at least helped drive many competitors' uh, valuations up in that space because they, you know, we see a weakness potentially in the Ethereum technology. Correct. Okay. I want to make sure I, uh, I, I get that right. You nailed it. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned that you were at this conference back in September. Um, for folks out there who want to learn more, whether as a, a syndicator or a passive investor in this space, that you want to keep an eye on it, but hey, maybe we're you know we're still concerned about COVID. We don't want to go to conferences. Where can people you know, read up on this or, or keep an eye on the technology so they know what's happening? Yeah, good question. So there are a couple resources, not a whole lot out there on a consistent basis, but YouTube's a great platform to see some some blockchain for real estate applications. Uh, a couple of our videos from that conference, again, that was the first of its kind, but we're planning to do, to do that at least on an annual basis, if not twice a year, likely in the Austin area. My team at Symphony Capital Group is actually starting a podcast first quarter of next year called the future of real estate and uh, blockchain technology is going to be one of our main focal areas. So we've been reaching out to our ever expanding network of technologists and folks in the space that have uh, already done a few of the limited successful um, STO offerings over the last couple of years will be guests and involved with that platform. So trying to have more of a consistent educational platform and, and just updates on how quickly the technology is is moving along. So I think that'll be a good resource in that regard. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I, I would still consider myself a skeptic in this space, but I, I think I said this before we were recording, I don't want to be the guy who in the early to mid nineties was saying this internet thing is a fad only updated to today with crypto technology saying this stuff is a fad. And then 10, 20 years down the road, you know, looking like a, 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 a jerk. So uh, sure. <laughs> I want to be sure to, to keep, uh, keep knowledgeable about it. And it's great that you're, you're starting a platform that's going to help people um, keep up with, with the latest in the technology. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called Ground Floor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com 
slash ground floor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Keith, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Oh, I'm glad you phrased it that way because education is certainly the best. That's why we took it off I the table. <laughs> any of us can make. So yeah, yeah, that's off the table. I'm going to say it was the mobile home park that we bought last year in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So this was actually a uh, uh, friends and family, uh, just a private deal that was a 1031 exchange from a previous property that we had. And it still blows my mind saying that we're doing 1031 exchange and Fannie Mae agency financing at, <laughs> at four and five caps in the mobile home park space because my family's been in the space for 25 years. And that was that was not the case in the, the 90s and 2000s. It's really been the last couple of years that that space is, uh, mobile home park space has really blossomed and, and grown. So this was a deal that I found off market um, by a, uh, a system of building off market database of owners and, and calling them essentially and establishing relationships. Um, and in the mobile home park space, you see a lot of non-professional longtime owners that probably built the property a couple of decades ago and um, have managed it as their baby ever since. And as they get up into their 70s, 80s, 90s, they're looking to transition out. So we've had success in, in that regard, being able to present compelling offers to, to finally let them help them let go of their baby and, and enjoy their, their retirement finally. It was interesting in this case because we put the property under contract January of 2020. And oh, we wow. all know what what happened and it was off-market transaction. So we were able to negotiate four months of due diligence, believe it or not. How rare is that in this space nice. where you're getting in bidding wars with uh, listed properties? So so about month two, when, when COVID uh, reared its ugly head, we had a big question to ask ourselves of, are we going to be able to move forward with this? I mean, <laughs> nobody nobody knew what the world was going to hold in store for us back then. And just getting uh, consistent answers from contractors again on due diligence and inspections, qualified intermediary for the 1031 was pretty challenging to say the least back then. So got together with the principals about a week left and said, all right, I mean, we really like this deal with pencils and pencils with. 2019 math. Hopefully it still pencils with 2020 math. Hopefully we're going to be collecting rents uh, here in some form or fashion and uh, move forward with the deal. <laughs> Very fortunately. So, you know, we had our share of challenges over the course of the year uh, last year, but for the most part, rental collections remained extremely strong. Our due diligence proved out. We didn't have any big CapEx surprises. And then fast forward to middle of this year. So about a year into ownership, we were already able to execute a Fannie Mae cash out refinance and pull out about 65% of our 1031 equity tax-free from that property. And this is at premier agency uh, debt terms and interest rates as well. So that was a really strong success story for us, uh, being able to prove out our, our business model and provided us with a good amount of capital that we're able to deploy into future multifamily syndications. So that's probably my best success story to date. Nice. That's awesome. It's interesting to get a window back to the beginning of COVID because you're right. None of us knew what was going to happen. And many of us, 
I think reasonably were were concerned about the uh, future of real estate, but little did we know the money printers would uh, fire up and and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and really uh, <laughs> that they yeah really helped us out. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Fortunately, I don't have two big of a horror story in this regard. Um, that, that says something about my investment journey, but uh, it, it kind of started out as a, a bad investment that's ultimately worked out. So this was the first home that I ever bought. This was my primary residence when I graduated college, also in New Mexico. And I bought in 2007, summer of 2007. So the peak of the market, absolutely. And you know, I, I thought I was getting a steal at the time. And it was, a, uh, it was an interesting property. It was a condemned derelict property that hadn't been lived in for 15 years and we we bought the parcel on the frame of the remaining home essentially and did a 80 percent uh, uh overhaul um rehab so brought it back to life over the course of a couple months um and then right about when i moved in is when when the market crashed and we had the the big recession of 08 primarily driven by by real estate so um, you know, I was a little, little frustrated back then seeing values go down 30 plus percent over this <laughs> nice new home that I had just purchased. But, um, you know, fortunately back then I was living in the home. So, um, you know, didn't, didn't have to pay rent, building some equity interest rates were a bit higher back then. I think my first rate was six and a half probably. So lived in the home for a couple of years, took really good care of it, kept, uh, adding some, some new features to it. And then when I really relocated to San Diego about 10 years ago, made the wise decision to hang on to it and, and try out this uh, single family landlord thing. So had a property manager in place, been successfully running that for the last 10 years. And then obviously I rode the wave back up over the last 10 years of uh, of uh, building, building equity. And uh, now it's probably 20 or 30% above what I even paid for it back in 08. Um, been making hundreds of dollars of tax-free cash flow each month um, from renting it out. And then last year when interest rates dipped during COVID, I performed another cash out refinance on that property. So I was able to pull out a good chunk of change to uh, use this co-investments into our symphony capital group, uh, multifamily syndication. So started off as a, as a uh, bad investment and ended up being a pretty good one just by, by uh, playing the waiting game. Nice. And, and cash flow makes that all, uh, all much Absolutely. easier to, to take. Got to have that question. Very important. Yep. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? It probably actually ties back to what we just talked about <laughs> is making sure you have that that cushion in place. And that's something that that's what caused the last real estate, real estate driven recession essentially is you saw 90, 95% LTV on projects that were way overvalued and non-qualified buyers with very little uh, underwriting and due diligence going into granting these loans. So that's something that has been very comforting and encouraging, even in this high valuation, low cap rate environment that we find ourselves in is that the capital stack is still pretty conservative. Um, I think on the equity side, investors and preferred equity groups are still uh, expecting reasonable returns that that can pencil out with reasonable growth rates, um, factoring in increasing expenses and inflation and still having trajectories and targets that are achievable. And then on the debt side, you're seeing LTVs that are still very reasonable. It's rare to get something that's above 80, 85% these days. And then in the ultra low two and three cap rate markets of a San Francisco or an Austin, Texas, 
Um, you're seeing LTVs still being held uh, fairly low based on what the underwriter is ultimately projecting the value to increase over the next couple of years. So I think that bodes well for our space and I'm grateful that we are, are seeing that. And I think that means we have quite a few uh, more years of, of runway here in this commercial real estate space. Awesome. Great to hear. And uh, so many, such a great conversation today. I think um, just to kind of recap it or recap my thoughts about it is I think we might might be looking at the the new internet. Maybe, I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I'll be more than happy to keep an eye on the space and see how things evolve. And I appreciate you being out there and, and being part of the, the group of folks who are pushing the technology and educating the rest of us about it. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to track down your show or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is uh, www.symphonycapitalgroup.com. My email is keith at symphonycapitalgroup.com. We're all over social media. So you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And then my personal LinkedIn is linkedin.com slash IN slash Keith ME. Nice. And the name of your podcast, but it's not out yet when we record, but hey, it might be out when folks are listening to this. Yep. We'll be starting at Q1 of next year. And the name of the podcast is The Future of Real Estate. Awesome. Love it. Well, Keith, once again, thank you for joining us today. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I tell you this every show. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone else who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. No matter what podcast app you use, don't forget to look us up, hit the subscribe button and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you're interested in learning more about what I do and potentially investing with us on a future commercial real estate deal, go to investwithtaylor.com. Once again, investwithtaylor.com. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.